Hello, Marvelites! You're listening to This Week in Marvel episode number 429. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink, and we're here to talk about what? You guessed it, Marvel. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you guys. We are on a roller coaster of action adventure, and you know what? What I'm going to do right now is recap the previous 428 episodes of this podcast. What? No lols. That's not what we're doing. You don't need to listen to any other episode to get into this. You can just join us right now. We're going to talk about all the fun stuff that's happening at Marvel right now, whether it's movies, comics, video games, toys, and so much more. Yeah, this week we're talking about robots, though, because there's a robot uprising brewing in Marvel Comics, and I'm ready to fight a robot if I gotta. Beep boop pop boop beep boop pop. I would never fight R2-D2. Because <laughs> that's what's happening in Iron Man 2020. That's what we're going to be talking about a bunch later on. And to help us do that, we have brought in... The man, the myth, the legend himself, Daniel Slott. Yeah, but there are also things we're hyped about this week, comma, including news, colon. Not the colon in your body, the colon on the page. That's right. There's new Marvel Studios Black Widow action hitting the internet, which is uh, 90 seconds and a featurette. Yeah, there's so much cool stuff. You're getting a little bit more plot. Another awesome look at Taskmasterness. Oh, it's delicious. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it, you can go to Marvel.com. You can go to Marvel's YouTube and every plate, like all the internet, just like type it in. Yeah. Internet, Black Widow, go. Yeah. That yeah, seems right. That seems right. There are also a butt ton of new comics announced. Yeah. Empire. Uh, you know, that is a big one that we're talking about because it's coming in April. It's finally here. We saw the the first hints at it in Incoming at the end of 2019. And Empire is by Al Ewing and Dan Slott with art by Valerio Schiti. So a big part of this is that the Kree and the Skrull have always been at odds. And now they are... Like making out and having a good time, and they're like barbecuing together, which is really, really bad because those two alien races, the only thing that was probably protecting the universe and holding it together was the fact that they were not united. Yeah, they Uh, should not be together because they are too powerful. Yeah, we've seen the Kree Scroll War, and that has been going on for years and years and years. Now it's this like Kree Scroll peace. So Curious to see how that's going to go, especially because Hulkling seems to be the one who is uniting both alien races. So uh, in part of Empire coming in April, we've got a bunch of issues. Empire number zero, Avengers, which is by Al Ewing and Pepe Larraz. And then the full Empire Avengers series, which will be three more issues, is by Jim Zub and Carlos Magno. Empire number zero, Fantastic Four by Dan Slott and R.B. Silva. There's going to be a Fantastic Four tie-in by Dan and Sean Isaacs, and then uh, an Empire Spider-Man series, which is uh, written by Taryn Killam and art by Diego Olortegui. Also, don't forget there's going to be an Emperor Hulkling one-shot by the truly weird and wacky Chip Zdarsky <laughs> and Anthony Oliveira with art by Manuel Garcia. This next one I'm so delighted by because we are getting a... Ow! New Werewolf by Nightbook, uh, and it is written by Taboo. You know him from the Black Eyed Peas. Mm-hmm. We've done a bunch of stuff with him. Mm-hmm. He's had a comic with us and many things. And Benjamin Jackendoff, who also worked on Masters of the Sun with Taboo, so it's very cool. There's also going to be a new book coming called Children of the Atom Number One by Vita Ayala with art by Bernard Chang. I'm really excited to hear more about this book because it looks kind of different. I went into the X-Men office to ask Jordan D. White and Chris Robinson and Annalise Pisa 
question about something, and I was like, is anything cool coming up that you're, you're just excited about? And Chris was like, Children of the Atom. He's very hyped for it, so I think that's a book to definitely keep an eye out on. And then there's also going to be X Factor number one by Leah Williams with art by David Baldion. I love this creative team so much. <laughs> and I believe Leah is bringing back the sort of X Factor investigations part. But the yeah. the squad is, is a little bit different than we've seen before. If you've never read an X Factor book, it has it's a great lineage. It gets really quirky and really fun. There's a lot of great uh, material to work with. And Leah knows Marvel so inside and out and backwards that I assume this book is going to be so much fun and so weird. A couple more for us to talk about because we have previously talked about Outlawed, which is this series about what happens when it's illegal to be a teenage vigilante in the Marvel Universe. And so that it's like a crackdown on characters such as Ms. Marvel or Miles Morales, Ironheart, other young heroes. That comes out in March with repercussions now in April spinning out into three new books, including Champions by writer Dr. Eve L. Ewing and artist Simone DeMio. New Warriors by Daniel Kibblesmith and artist Luciano Vecchio. I love Luciano Vecchio's art. Luciano worked on the Ironheart book in the past year. It's really, really solid art. Yeah, and this is going to be classic New Warriors Night Thrasher. That's super fun. Yeah. Firestar, Rage, Speedball, Nemerita, Silhouette, and they show up to mentor a new group of young heroes. I love this. It's just so fun. I hope we see a scene where Night Thrasher teaches them how to ride a skateboard. Because Night Thrasher has a skateboard, yeah. and he rolls around on it, and he's awesome. Uh, and then one more tied to Outlawed is Power Pack by one of our favorites, writer Ryan North and Art Nico Leone. It's bringing back the family, the Power Pack family, and see what, they, what they're doing, how they're dealing with the changes in Outlawed. But also, they've gotten older than we've seen mm-hmm. them previously, especially the younger siblings yeah. haven't been around as much in the book. So I'm excited to see this. Yeah, and if you guys love Squirrel Girl, Ryan Q. North wrote Squirrel Girl, so I think that this is going to have some like really fun, good vibes, uh, like a lot of his work does. I'm excited to see what he does with it. And we can't forget this Marvel's Avengers announcement happened. They have pushed back the date for the game. It will now be launching on September 4th of 2020. Just giving it some more time to cook yeah. and be the best possible Avengers game for everybody. There's even more on Marvel.com. You can, of course, check out our news feeds on there. But one of the shows that we do is Marvel's Pull List. It's a weekly show where me and Tucker Marcus talk about all the new books out this week. Actually, this week's episode does not feature Tucker Chet Marcus. What? He was in California. What? Yes. I was joined both by producer Jorge Estrada and executive editor Tom Brevoort. Wow, what a powerhouse. I know. Tom uh, came in to talk about Iron Man 2020 and a new issue of Avengers, which was really cool. And Tom actually chose, surprise, surprise, Iron Man 2020 number one as his pick of the week. Uh, My picks were Valkyrie Jane Foster number seven and Venom the End number one. But you guys should subscribe to Marvel's Pull List wherever you get your podcast, And that includes Pandora. And, you know, watch video versions with uh, Ryan and Tucker and whoever else he happens to borrow over on uh, Marvel.com. All right. So we have talked a little bit about Iron Man 2020. Let's get into a big talk. We need a song, like a, like a sound, like burp, 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 big talk. Big talk. So we're going to do a big talk now about Iron Man 2020. And there's a lot of components to that. Iron Man 2020 is the name of a comic book right now. 
It is um, name of a character, Arno Stark, who originally started out as an alternate universe character, uh, but then was brought into the main universe. So we're going to talk about both versions of Arno Stark. We're going to talk about the Iron Man 2020 book that's out right now. We're also going to talk about Machine Man, who's a main part of the current Iron Man 2020 story, who is a main part of the original Iron Man 2020 story, who's kind of the beginning point for all of this. Yeah, and I think something to keep in mind as well is that a lot of these comics kicked off in like 70s and 80s about 2020. So even though we're talking about the year 2020, we're not talking about this year. We're talking about the future that was created 40 years ago. Yeah. That was first revealed to us in the Machine Man series of the 1980s. But Machine Man actually has history before that. He is Aaron Stack. He is X-51. He is a robot man, a machine man, if you will. He was created by Jack Kirby in the 2001 A Space Odyssey comic book, the book that was tied to the movie and then just diverged in really cool ways. And they were describing X-51, a.k.a. Machine Man, as a thinking computer in the form of a man. Aaron Stack's world is not quite ready for his kind. Yeah, he's a cranky little robot. But in that book, they also introduced Sunset Bane. And Sunset Bane has been a, a main... A, big character in the recent Tony Stark Iron yeah, Man series. she's not nice. No. She's a bad lady. She's no good. She's kind of a less ethical Tony Stark in some ways. Mm, she's yeah. a, a businesswoman, doesn't have quite the same level of technical... She's more of an executive. But still brilliant and has built this company on technology, but it's never quite the same as Stark's. Yeah, she's kind of the evil Steve Jobs. Ooh. Right? Yeah. So this series ran in the 70s. Then in the mid 80s, we got the big series that is one of my favorites. Lorraine was just doing her uh, little dance for this one. It is uh, the Machine Man series by Tom DeFalco, Herb Trimpey, and Barry Windsor Smith. You guys, if you've never read this book, it's only four issues. The art is phenomenal. The art, it's an important, that's a great point because Herb Trimpey was this Long-time Marvel Comics creator. Had worked on a ton of Marvel books, Incredible Hulk, huge runs mm -hmm, across mm -hmm. the board. And then he did the art here, the breakdowns, so like the main part of the art. But then Barry Windsor Smith, he would layer on top of Herb's layouts and you get just something unlike anything else. Yeah, it's really, it's special. Yeah. This is kind of like... Blade Runner in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's got a lot of cyberpunk feel. Yeah. You know what it really reminds me of? I, I mean, and some of this is because Barry Windsor Smith worked on Weapon X, but it reminds me a lot of those classic Weapon X covers where it's got all the cords and creepy stuff because it has a lot of that circuitry and that uh, mechanical stuff. Yeah. But it's got that style to it, which I think is really, really cool. And you just don't see a lot. Yeah. It's such a great transport to another world totally it brings you in the world building mm -hmm. through the art is so meticulously done and the cyberpunk feels of it also comes not too long after cyberpunk was really starting to yeah. pick up in in novels and you know william gibson and other stuff in fashion of the 80s yeah. too yeah and uh in the book also you know Sunset Bane, Banetronics brought into it. Jocasta is a big character and big part of this story. Yeah, Jocasta is, she's a sentient AI. Uh, she was created by Ultron to be the bride of Ultron, so both Ultron's daughter and bride, so that's not weird at all. 
She was patterned on the brain of Janet Van Dyne. She's like the Janet robot. You know, part of this whole year, we're talking about alternate universes and this Machine Man story that we're getting into with this 1980s book with Jocasta and everything that we've just been talking about is set in a different universe. It is Earth 8410. um, And it's sort of this divergent Earth. You have Arno Stark, who is introduced in the second issue. In this story, he, I believe, is... Uh, Tony Stark's nephew. Yes. And he has a really cool costume. He's got the gears He's on got his big, arms. Yeah, like big, huge gears as sort of his shoulder pad situation. But it's giving you that sort of like historic future. Yeah. Very cool. much. Yeah, yeah. Cool retro future. One of the things that our producer, Persia, just brought up is that we have Arno Stark and Aaron Stack. Well, if you think about it, they're both machine men. Yeah. And they're just coming at things from a different point of view, from the human point of view and from the AI point of view. Um, But let's talk about Iron Man 2020, who is Arno Stark, not to be confused with Machine Man Aaron Stack. So again, remember, Arno Stark is a Stark as in related to Tony Stark. So Arno, as Ryan mentioned, was introduced in Machine Man number two by Tom and Herb, uh, hanging out in 1984. But of course, this is all taking place in that continuity that we were talking about, 2020. And this is the 80s 2020. So Arno Stark is bad. And it's largely, he has like a vendetta, a personal vendetta against artificial intelligence. He was hired by Sunset Bane of Banetronics to basically go beat the crap out of machines. And he was like, great. Yeah. What's interesting about this too is this, the Iron Man 2020 that we're talking about here, this Arno Stark that was first created in the 80s was just created sort of like a, it wasn't like an intention to make him a bigger thing, but people glommed onto him. Yes. People were like, oh my, this character is super cool. The look is great. Everything about this was really neat. So he was originally in the series as just this bad guy, but would eventually be used in other stories and other books. But I think we got to get into the real meat of things. Absolutely. So- How does Iron Man 2020 come into the now future of 2020? Well, we can thank Kieran Gillen and Dale Eaglesham for bringing in Arno Stark into the main Earth 616 continuity. That is the main Marvel continuity, as we talked about last week here on This Week in Marvel. So basically, this is the whole story. Let's get into it. Oh, boy. An alien named Recorder 451 makes the Starks agree to genetically alter their very sick young baby. You guys might remember the recorders. They show up from time to time. They look a lot like Machine Man, but they're they're kind of like the robot equivalent of the Watcher. Yeah. What they usually do is track how a planet's races are surviving, whether or not that planet is continuing to live. So this recorder comes down, finds the Starks and says, your planet is set to be destroyed and your son is the chosen one. Let me at this kid. You need to promise us that you are going to allow him to ascend to protect the universe. So what they do is they take their son and they end up hiding their son away and adopting another child, which turns out to be Tony Stark, that child that they hid away who was sickly was actually Arno Stark, Tony's yeah. brother. When you say hid away, they like put him in like away from all people, all civilization in like almost an iron lung situation. Yeah, he really is. And he's in a machine his entire life, completely unable to move or get around. Finally, Tony figures out what has been going on. He finds his hidden brother and they're reunited. 
But the thing about Arno Stark is he was never socialized. So if you think about this, he was alone his entire life. And not only that, he's a Stark. So he's insanely, insanely brilliant, like Maria and Howard Stark. And what do you do with all that time? You just plot and you think and you wonder and you just get real weird. You get real super weird. Uh, So, yeah, there have been a bunch of stories featuring Arno over the course of the last seven or so years because Mm -hmm. this was Iron Man number 12 in 2012 when we first got him in the Marvel main universe. And so over time, we've seen little bits and pieces. There's this really weird story from a year or two ago with him and, and, like, genetically modified cows. And you just see, like, this glint of... Oh, this this boy is touched. Yeah, he wants things for the greater good, and he knows that he's this chosen person to protect the earth, and he wants to do right. But he also does not have that moral ambiguity of, is this right? Am I hurting people? He's like, whatever the greater good. That is my end means. So he's a very complicated, complicated figure. And also now he's out of the iron lung. Tony and him have been had grown closer. Yeah. So his trajectory has gone this way. At the same time, over the last year or so, there's been a lot of wild stuff happening with Tony Stark. Tony mm-hmm. uh, had died. He's come back. He has been messing with AI, with this all, you know, like virtual reality situation. That is the Tony Stark Iron Man series. But over the course of that series, things have gone a little off the rails for Tony himself. Right. Well, Tony has always been the kind of person who does not mind playing with his human body. If you think about it, the arc reactor, extremists, bleeding edge, all of those things are basically him experimenting on himself and making him a cyborg, if you really think about it. Yeah. And so he recently, you know, after Civil War II, he more or less died. So he was rebuilt from a brain scan with soft tissue. So he has a human body. And he has a brain, but he he ends up being questioned. He gets pulled into a Senate committee hearing, and it kind of comes out that maybe he's not even a person because does he exist if he's just created off of soft tissue and a brain scan? Does that constitute being a real life? Yeah, he's questioning this himself. It's not yeah. just everybody else. He's sort of like, wait, am I real if I'm not the original? Like all these different pieces have replaced other parts, am I still me if there's no original me left? Which is a really heady conversation to have, especially for a guy like Tony Stark, who's, you know, he thinks those big thoughts all the time. Yeah, absolutely. So Tony Stark then sort of has this kind of breakdown. He's, like, figuring out what's going on with himself. At the same time, this AI question is really bubbling up. And by the end of the Tony Stark Iron Man series we get to see the robot side of things really come to play. Machine Man comes back into the story in a major way. Joe Costa comes back into the story in a major way. And we start to talk about AI rights and robot rights. And does an AI get the same rights that we all have? Should they? You just have to read this issue of Iron Man, Tony Stark, number 15. It's one of my favorites. 
because you get to see Uncanny Valley, which is the robot bar where all of the robot and AI folks hang out. And you get to see them have these debates about what do we think of Tony Stark? What do we think of sentience? And they're having these really complicated arguments in a really funny, cheeky, easy to understand way. So if you kind of just want to understand what is this argument about, I would really recommend reading that issue because it lays it out really nicely. But with Tony essentially saying, I might not be real, it leaves things open for Arno Stark and Sunset Bane to make a major play for Stark Industries. Yeah, and they pretty much buy up Stark Industries. Tony pieces out. He leaves at the end of Tony Stark Iron Man, which leaves this hole of who will be Iron Man, bringing us to the brand new Iron Man 2020 number one, which just came out. It was very exciting. It's got the robot rights conversation. It's got lots of cool like robot appearances and designs. It has Arno Stark. It has Sunset Bane. It has the next step for Tony Stark. And it has so much more. Yeah, and so many allusions to that super awesome art that we were talking about by Barry Windsor Smith and the rest of the crew that have worked on Iron Man 2020 through the decades. Yeah, and the art on the new series is by Pete Woods with uh, the stories written by Dan Slott and um, Christos Gage. And so it's really fun. I think this is probably a perfect time to dive into our conversation with Dan Slott. You you had my uh, my Spider Man uh, Scotty Young pins in your desk for how how many years? Two years. Two years. <laughs> I picked them up for you at San Diego <laughs> on your request, and then every time you'd be like, "Hi, Lorraine, bye, Lorraine." I'm like, "No way!" Wait. <laughs> my sister did the same thing to me. She had the apartment before me, and she moved out. And she is a harpist, and she left a harp, an enormous harp, in my tiny New York apartment. <laughs> and she would always be like. Yeah, I'll, I'll pick that up sometime. And years were going by. So when I would start like, well, it's my harp now. And I would have like all my Marvel action figures climbing up the strings. <laughs> and she would come up to my apartment like, what are you doing to my harp? Oh, it's my harp. <laughs> I, I, I thought you were going to say, well, now I've taken lessons and I am on par with her as a I harpist. A, I, a I, will ne- I will never be as good as my two <laughs> twin sisters who both play the harp. I oh, That what? just blew my mind. I didn't mind. know anything yeah. about this at yeah, all. My identical twin sisters. That's amazing. Well, that's why Don Greenwood's an identical twin. You write what you know. Don Greenwood from Silver Surfer. Silver Surfer. Yeah. That's amazing. I love that. Uh, we're not going to talk about that at all. No. I want to ask you, uh, you know, first, it's been a little while since we had you on the show. I think we did when you were relaunching Fantastic Four. Oh might have been the last time. But whenever I read an issue of FF, like I read Ben's dialogue, I just hear you. Me doing Ben Grimm. Yeah. Now, when you write Ben Grimm, yes. do you... I, I, I do. Like, the hardest part about this was I had a really good friend who was a neighbor whose uh, name was Alicia. <laughs> so every time someone called me on the phone, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to go have lunch with my friend Alicia. <laughs> me and Alicia, we're going to go get some food. We're going to get some grub. <laughs> it's clobbering time. <laughs> All yeah, it just takes like one word. You just have to go like stretcho, yeah, and you're you're there. Yeah. You know, it, it, I love that, and I, I, you've fulfilled the thought in my head, which I appreciate. <laughs> Fantastic Four has been a lot of fun recently. The thing that's blown my mind is how much world building y'all have done in like four issues with new superhero teams, mm. new powers, new worlds, an underworld elite like. All of this Villains stuff. And, uh, it, it was so much fun that with both uh, Sean and Paco, 
everyone was contributing to the world building. Like uh, on the planet Spire, we wanted Spirican clothing to look a certain way. So Sean draws up like 12 different designs of here's what everyone's wearing just like people on the street and here's what Spirican buildings look like and here's how their ships look and one thing after another after another and it was so cool to to do the world building of that oh, it's so much fun yeah i also just have to shout out around the 80th anniversary the issue of fantastic four that came out around 80th just was like such a beautiful love letter to all of fantastic four history i felt like i felt like there were a million little easter eggs how fun was it for you to just be like, okay, I'm cherry picking. Were you like saving things for that issue? Is this the one where they're getting ready to do the trip? Where mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. God, that was so much fun. Um, <laughs> one of the hardest things of our job is these characters have been around for 80 years. Most of the mainstream Marvel characters from the, the what is it, the Silver Age mm-hmm. have been around for 50 plus. And the hard thing is, to find that new thing or to turn over that rock and show that thing that we really should have seen by now but haven't, that's the most fun. And I remember telling people, look at FF number one. The ship never blows up. What happened to the ship? And like, what? We've never seen that? No. And then it's great when you can even do that to Brevoort. Like, have we seen the ship? We haven't seen the ship. Where is the ship? And I'm like, I want to open with the Smithsonian, where you have the spirit of St. Louis and this, and they've donated the ship. And he's like, ah. And then the story just starts building out of that. Can we talk about the secret of the overseer? Sure. Yeah, I think that that, that there might be one issue left, but we're that's his secret is out now. His secret is out, which is that we found out that he can manipulate and augment and boost cosmic rays. You find out that the shields that Reed built were strong enough. He's Reed Richards. He knows math. He (laughs) built the ship correctly. It would have worked, but someone out in space cranked up the volume, and it's because of what the Overseer did is why you have the Fantastic Four. And one of the things I see people getting really upset about is you just absolved Reed of his greatest sin. You just took that away. And that's an important part of Fantastic Four legacy. And we knew exactly what we were doing. (laughs) (laughs) And the story's not done yet. Uh, Keep keep watching. Wait for it. Wait for it. Uh, well, we'll be talking about that, I'm sure, much more. But, you know, right now, we're already into Iron Man 2020. Ah, 2020! Yeah. Woo! Yeah, we're very excited. Lorraine and I have done a ton of, like, research and rereading and and looking at the previous 2020 stuff, the, mm-hmm. the more recent stuff with Arno. Of course, your run on Tony Stark Iron Man and how it's Kieran, all Kieran's and Kieran's Kieran's stuff. Kieran Gillen stuff. Every Iron Man writer, it kind of slowly realized that we were inching towards the physical year 2020. <laughs> And what's that going to mean? And everyone's kind of set the table in a different way. Obviously, it can't be the the Iron Man 2020 that was first showed up in Tom DeFalco's Machine Man miniseries. It can't. That's in the far future. And then there's other stories where he's clearly Tony Stark's like product, you know, prod- progeny. He's his, no, he's his nephew. Nephew, I believe. Like, oh, yeah. It, yeah. It changes all over the place as we got physically closer. And thank you, Karen, for setting up the long lost brother. It's amazing the way time keeps shifting around Arno Stark. Yeah. But <laughs> we are in the Marvel Universe one that you're ready for. The one that 
the last one the table has been set for. You and Christos are writing the story, but you've been on Tony Stark Iron Man for, you know, a year and two years now doing Iron Man stories. Did you know yes. when you were putting your pitch together, yes. like, this is what Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, when, when I got the call that uh, we were losing our beloved Brian B- Michael Bendis over to the Distinguished Competition, I got a call from Marvel before it was announced. And they called to like break the news and go, yeah, we're, we wanted you to hear it first from us before it broke in comic sites that Brian's going. And I was like, well, that, that, that's a shame. You know, he's a powerful force in the room. He's a, a creative giant. He will be missed. And then there was a pause, and I went, <laughs> I want Iron Man. <laughs> like, body's not cold. And I was like, give me Iron Man. And they're like, what would you do with it? And I was like, it's Rick and Morty meets Black Mirror on the road to 2020. <laughs> and they're like, what? Yes, everything sets the stage for Iron Man 2020, and you can just do anything because it's science. So <laughs> my, my question is, when you were taking this on, obviously we all love the Spider-Man run where Otto gets to take over the body of Spider-Man. Why do you like to put villains in the driver's seat? Because Arno has not been a necessarily super nice guy. Um. It's more interesting. <laughs> you know, it's the book is a car, and what character do you stick in that driver's seat? You know, if it's Tony, it's going to a fun place, and yay. If it's Arno, it's, oh, my God, let me out of the car. <laughs> this could swerve at any moment. We could go off it. You know, it's that's the fun of it is the unpredictability. So you just take the bottle of soda and just shake it. Shake it. it. (laughs) You're like, oh, no. Why did we cut off Luke's hand and freeze Han in carbonite? Oh, why couldn't they have just gone out and got a sandwich? That would have been such a better ending. (laughs) No, we're going to crank it up, and we're going to twist and make you feel horrible. And you want to put your hero on a back heel. And with Iron Man 2020, we're putting the world on the back heel. You're going to see things in the first issue that will clearly show you this isn't Superior Spider-Man again. This isn't, there's a different thing going on. There's a whole different dynamic, a whole different feel. It's a messed up book. There's somebody in that Iron Man suit who we should kind of feel maybe they shouldn't be Iron Man. But there's another character running around doing stuff too. (laughs) <laughs> uh, for the for listeners, Dan just gently took a sip of his soda. Full he, Kermit meme. Full Kermit. Yes. Uh, you know, you mentioned the first issue. One of the things I loved is is seeing. I love like picking out little Easter eggs in different issues and different little touches put in there. There's uh, like little bits and pieces that are in there, and then there's this two page spread ah. uh, where we get to sort of the the lair of our artificial intelligence. Uh, folks, that is just chock-a-block full of cool stuff. That is the magic of Pete Woods, that we had a a laundry list of here's everybody who needs to be here, and then the extra note of, and by the way, Pete, go nuts. And Pete went nuts. And it is so much fun. You guys know that Brevoort is the the keeper of the lore, Then he (laughs) knows it all. And I got to look at that Pete Wood spread, and I get to talk to Brevoort on the phone and go, who's that guy? And you're like, I don't know. Wow. <laughs> wow. And then go to Pete. Go, Pete, who's that guy? Oh, he's that guy from this issue. I'm like, oh, yay. 
We should try to find a way. Why to are use we talking that. to you? We should be talking I'm to talking Pete. To Pete. <laughs> we should be talking. What to the Pete. hell, man? Pete driving around the country in his Winnebago, drawn from the back. He, he is. Is this a real thing? Yeah, Pete's like all Pete needs is a talking dog, and he could solve crimes. We gotta get Pete wow. on the show because also he does the entirety. Uh, he's like the penciling, inking, coloring, like. It's wild. It is. It really does mean that if the book's late, it's my fault. (laughs) (laughs) Pete does everything, and he does it perfect. And he we work together on Amazing Fantasy fifteen volume two on these characters called Blackjack, and we had so much fun working on it. And I was like, I want to work with Pete Woods. And right, almost right after he did that, he got snatched up by our distinguished competition, and I've spent. All of that time, constantly in touch with Pete Woods, going, please come to Marvel. Please come to Marvel. I want to work with you. And this was the one that finally broke it. Well, and well we're all the luckier for it. Yeah. So thank you. Oh, it looks so good. <laughs> it looks so good. It does. Uh, so Iron Man 2020 is six issues, correct? Yeah. Of the, the core title. But there's so much more to the story. You, you have the option. You can read Iron Man 2020, the six issues. Or if there's a character you like, like uh, Dana Schwartz is doing a two-part rescue with Pepper, you could read that on its own. You could read what Matt Rosenberg's doing over in Forceworks. With, yeah, Forceworks, coming yeah. back, baby. Forceworks <laughs> with with what War Machine's doing and, and all of his pals fighting the Robot Rebellion. You can read Ironheart. Here's Albert Weapon X. Which you know, I am. So excited for Albert and LCD right in my wheelhouse. That's that's Larry Hama. That's Larry Hama. I mean, come on, yeah, get out. <laughs> so it, we've we've got Tom DeFalco coming back. Wow, uh, doing so. You can read all of this stuff on its own, or if you read it all together, it locks in like Legos and forms a super <laughs> mega story. <laughs> it, it forms a Voltron. It it, it uh, everything can smack together around the the spine of Iron Man twenty twenty. Part of the fun of doing Tony Stark Iron Man that run was it was all one giant backdoor pilot (laughs) for Iron Man 2020. It was all moving all the puzzle pieces we would need to, you know, he's like, oh, my God, there's Machine Man. There's Joe Costa. There's Sunset Bane. You're like, hmm, there's Arno in the background acting really weird. <laughs> Everything was all and then Tony builds the suit of armor with the giant cogwheels on the shoulders. Yep. Yeah, like Ugh. everything was building to this. I have to say something that I thought is so interesting in the run is the sort of fight for AI rights because you know, we see vision in the early days where it's like even an android can cry. But it's kind of unquestioned in a way. It's just like, and now he's a a robot man and it's fine. But where did the idea come from to start exploring that? Because I think it's fascinating. It's fun. I mean, I worked with Joe Costa over in um, Mighty Avengers. Right. And I liked the way everyone just treated her like a vacuum cleaner. Like (laughs) everyone just, oh, here's what Joe Joe Costa, can you do this? And to me, the fun of it's like, does she get a vote? Like in the next election. And can't she get a license to drive a car? Is she treated like a car? Does someone need a license for her? It's all very, what? I mean, I'm someone that talks to my Siri at night where I go like, Siri, you know, set an alarm for tomorrow. And then I always feel the need to go thank you after she tells me it's because that's the way you're raised. (laughs) You're like, 
it makes you wonder. Like anyone out there has like a car. You've probably given your car a name and you probably get mad at your car when it's <laughs> or if someone hits your car, it's like, oh, you hit Christine. <laughs> you know, we get Christine very, is a very dangerous name for is. a car. <laughs> what are you driving these days? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you how much of how we treat a machine is how much we imbue it ourselves how much of ourselves are we putting in that machine um you know like you're looking at the kids from polar express <laughs> you're just like they'll kill you in your sleep <laughs> <laughs> so iron 2020 going on right now it's going to be going on for the next couple of months but we have you here yes. and one of the things that we want to talk about all year long is the marvel omniverse the original machine man story that gave us Arno Stark and those that's we look at that as its own you know uh, alternate reality because yeah we're, we're not at that future yeah uh, and that is actually Earth 8410 oh. uh, alternate universe have you ever yourself being a writer and coming mm. up with these stories said alright I want this number for an yeah. alternate yeah yeah I did that with like everything in Spider-Verse <laughs> I'm the reason the Gwen Stacy universe has that nomenclature I'm the reason, like, all these different ones, like, with slight nods to this is Earth 67. That's where Spider-Man 67 cartoon world is. I actually get a little perturbed (laughs) when I'm reading, like, a Spider-Verse thing and a number comes up that I did not assign. (laughs) Who assigned this number? You know, and now I'm like, let it go. Let it go. Well, you know, we we just. um, Oh, oh, oh. Yes. Spider-Man Far From Home. The Mysterio universe that he says he comes from. Yeah. It's the Spider UK universe. They called out my universe. You know, I almost cared about that more than the street in Venice. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you were, there was a slot street in Venice? Wasn't it oh, Slotto? There, yeah, there there was a, a, Michelin, a Michelinio. They, they changed it all like. That's so. Fa- Italianized fa- it. Fa- <laughs> fake Italian names, yeah. So there was like a Michelinio. There was a. Um, like a Conwayo, <laughs> there are all these. Uh, oh, um, Dematis was the the hotel. Yes, I remember oh, yeah. that one. Yeah, yeah but <laughs> m- uh, mine was great because they paused and they had a long conversation <laughs> with it right <laughs> over their head. And then both me and uh, one other writer, but they kind of got knocked off the screen really fast. Uh, we were both um, uh, like limo drivers holding up our names when they come back to the airport. Yeah, what? yeah. You, right after uh, Peter and MJ are holding hands. Yeah, no, I can picture and the then, scene. And then you cut to it. There's two of them, and one quickly goes off the screen. I'm like, oh, it was another Spidey writer. But the one that stays there on the screen is the guy holding up the card for slot. <laughs> <laughs> In the the Homecoming universe, I have left some poor driver forever waiting. <laughs> <laughs> Unless the me of that universe was on that plane, too. Ooh. Dan, as a Marvel fan, do you have a favorite Marvel alternate universe. Oh man, there's obvious ones just because I love them so much, like um, you know Spider-Man '67 cartoon or Spider-Man yeah. in, in his world. My favorite "What If" story is "What If Spider-Man Stopped the Burglar," and he keeps going on, but he does it for selfish reasons. He does it for press. Like <laughs> this will look good in the trades because this is when he was still on late night TV doing his Spider-Man shtick. And the whole gag is he never leaves entertainment and it becomes this entertainment mogul. It's this great what if story. And if you watch Spider-Verse, when Miles holds up the thing, goes, hey, look, cape. That's the costume from yes. that one. I just love that that what if story to 
bits. Yeah, I can picture the, like the lights on the cover, like all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, with him like. Hey. Yeah. And someone made a joke because the lights on the cover look like they're uh, Thanos's. Uh, they look like the reality stones <laughs> in that cover. If you look at that cover, it's a, everyone should dig that up on your go to your go to your uh, Marvel, Marvel Unlimited. Unlimited. Yeah. Read that issue. It's great. The other one I really like. They did one where. Um, Years before the Clone Saga, they did What If the Clone Lived, mm-hmm. and almost every What If story, all the greats, all the classics, usually had two endings. Either everything finally ends up the way it should have been, or <laughs> the universe is destroyed. Yep. You know, what if what if Daredevil went left instead of right? The universe is destroyed, <laughs> and that was one of the What Ifs that broke that rule. It ended that world in a different continuity that was interesting. And you're like, I want to go to that world where the clone and Spidey live and they, um, they're they just going to share their life as Peter Parker. Like just you'd pointing be sp- at each other. Yeah, like, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's like, you'd be Spidey on weekends. I'll be Spidey on the weekday. I can go to classes now. This it's is great. It's a parent trap. Yeah. It was, I was like, I want to see this world. This is awesome. You know, it would cause different problems. Like Aunt May walking into the room and, Peter, I thought you just left. <laughs> you, know. um, you talked about Spider-Verse. You've worked on... You've created a bunch of alternate universes. Uh, apparently, and I have to look at these, these are on my spinner rack at home. Oh, dear. You have two what-if stories that you wrote. Oh, uh, God. What if number 52, what if Doctor Doom became Sorcerer Supreme? That's Earth 938. Yep. And I, I can picture that cover. I, I It might be one of the ones displaying on my spinner rack. I put all my what-ifs on my rack. Both of those stories, I know which, and what if War Machine... Number 63, yeah. what if War Machine had not destroyed the living laser? That's yeah. Earth 947. Oh, man. It's like... Um, there is a, a Jim Lee graphic novel with Punisher and Nick Fury that you will never see. It is one of the hidden treasures of the Marvel Universe because Jim Lee started it very early in his Punisher years. And whenever he'd have free time, he'd do a couple pages. But he kept his his career was rising. It was on a on this incredible path and then he goes to Alpha Flight and then he goes to this book and then he goes to that book and then he becomes Jim Lee on X-Men. And whenever he'd have spare time, they'd get him to do a couple pages. And this is now going over years. And they're like, don't worry about that. Don't worry about it. Just whenever you can, do a few pages. And then when he got to be X-Men's Jim Lee, they just kept him so busy doing trading cards and posters and this and that on top of his stuff. And then one day they went, we've got this three-quarters finished Jim Lee graphic novel. Can you just do the last bit? And he goes to the drawer and he pulls it out and he looks at it. And there's like a the guy uh, Chuck Jones, the guy who did Roadrunner, mm-hmm. had a really great saying. He said, "Every artist has a thousand bad drawings in them, and it's good to get them out as quickly as possible." Mm-hmm. I mean, like you don't want people to see your kindergarten drawings. You don't mm-hmm. want people. You just want them to see the you that showed up on the door after art school. <laughs> and Jim Lee got so much better, demonstrably better over the years that when he looked at it and he saw his early, the beginning pages in his early style. It was kind of like man slowly walking erect <laughs> through the course of this graph. He was like, I am never finishing this. This is somewhere. This is somewhere here, somewhere hidden in the vaults. Is this? You'll never see it because it's like a lot of people forget that I had a Marvel career in the 90s. They think I came back. I started at 2004 with She-Hulk when I came back to Marvel. Most people forget my 90s career. And I look at those and I go, oh, my God. Those are my kindergarten drawings. Those are my <laughs> – oh, my – there's a – there are scenes in that what if Doctor Doom story that haunt me 
because I was treating magic like they were rhymes. You were doing incantations. Oh, God. There's like some line where Doom is freeing his mother from hell with the magic he's learned to Sorcerer Supreme. And he's and he's fighting Mephisto. And he says something like, uh, for the one by the name of Cynthia Von Doom, I extinguish these flames with the winds of Watum. <laughs> Pretty good. No, it's pretty good. No, pretty that good. is horrifying. What we need, dear <laughs> listeners, is for someone to get this issue, take those rhymes, mm. put them to a beat. Let's hear a song <laughs> based are... on this. What if I want this? I will pay oh, money for you... this if somebody does this. You are off my Christmas list, Panagos. <laughs> I've never been on your Christmas list. But, uh, I, I love that so much. Um, oh God, it's horrifying. It, the thing about it is, though, it's an alternate universe. It's a different Earth. Yeah. Maybe the rhyming was re- required in that universe. I'm I'm going to say that was an alternate dance slot that wrote everything <laughs> in the 90s. Everybody knows couplets are magic. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Um, the last thing I wanted to just ask about in terms of the writing multiverse stuff is just like, is there a difference in your mind for when you're writing a story that is set in the Marvel universe versus a completely different reality? It's a lesson you start learning that you bring back with you to this reality because you start going – while I'm writing in an alternate reality, all bets are off. I can blow up planets. I can kill that other person's characters. I can blah, you know, these two characters could fall in love. You start writing a, a little more fearlessly. You increase the stakes. And then when you get back to the real Marvel Universe, you go, I should be doing that here. I should be a little more fearless here. So the most dangerous thing you can do is have people write alternate reality stories because they'll come back and they'll 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 have that taste for blood. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing matters, Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> or rather, everything matters. You better not miss a single issue. Love mm. that though. Yeah. Also, off the twenty twenty tip, you mentioned you know your nineties comics, and now the two thousands have happened. You've had your full like decade that just finished off here going into 2020 what is your comic book resolution oh oh um full scripts wow (laughs) yeah because you you write i'm i'm the i'm one of the dinosaurs man uh still doing marvel style and i think i need to to take a whack at doing more full scripts and would you describe marvel style for anyone who doesn't understand what that means Marvel, uh, when Stan used to write stuff, he would write, you know, pages 12 through 14, the FF all fight Diablo, and, you know, Sue Storm gets knocked out and Reed gets shot into space. You know, (laughs) figure it out. (laughs) You know, there'd be these loose indicators of what's going on, and then the artist comes in and does the heavy lifting. And then Stan would get the art, and then Stan would add dialogue to it, like looping a silent movie. So you would get things like a lot of times Stan would just describe what's on the page where he'd be like, oh, you watch out. I'm picking up this heavy rock and I'm going to throw it at you. Now I'm throwing it at you. Oh, why did you hit me with that rock? You know, you're like, and we all loved it because it's weird. And when you read people that Stan used to script over when they start scripting themselves, it's missing some of that pizzazz. It's missing some of that carnival barker fun mm-hmm. that Stan would would inject into stuff. What I do is um, it's a little tighter than that. I usually break a story down into panels and describe the action I would like on every panel. But it leaves the artist a lot of freedom. So, like, um, there was, like, a Mighty Avengers story I wrote where I had this 
bickering back and forth between Hank Pym and Reed Richards. And in my mind, it was almost like, it was very Virginia Woolf. <laughs> it was very like, it's an episode of Frasier. <laughs> they're like, they're, Cutting they're, remarks. Ha, ha, ha. But when the artist drew it, they made it like WWF. Like, I'm going to take you. We're going down. You're going down, Reed Richards. Oh. So you have to kind of match that intensity in the script. It's the artist calling an audible, and you're you're going okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the flow, like I'm in an improv group, and this is the energy you're bringing to the scene. I'm gonna I'm gonna match it. But if there's a very specific joke I want to do in an issue, if there's a very specific payout, like setup and payoff, I would go a little more full scripty for that one sequence. But like I have a scene where. I'm having dinosaurs fighting Johnny Storm in the current issue of uh, of FF20, and Paco's going nuts because it says in the plot like "go nuts." <laughs> so that's kind of fun. And yeah. it's like if you're an artist, like, oh, what's the dinosaur going to do to Johnny Storm? <laughs> this is going to be fun. I think I need to go more to full script because mainly it's just about wanting to get the best version of the comic to you in a timely fashion, so that it's hitting the deadlines and it's and everyone's not trying to kill each other. And doing the dialogue ahead of time, and that'll make it. But doing it ahead of time, but knowing that if the artist calls an audible, that you can change it. Yeah. But having it there to be a safety net. Um, there was a time when Ed Brubaker was thinking of going to Marvel Style. And he said, hey, I hear you work on Marvel Style. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, can I see some of your plots? And I showed him. And Ed took one look at it and went, oh, I get it. You're, you're too lazy to go full script. <laughs> oh. Whoa, Whoa, sick, sick burn, burn. Jeez, <laughs> come like, on. Get this man a cooling balm. <laughs> I'm looking like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can hide behind the rationale, which I, I will. I'll stand by it. That The artist has more fun. Let them loose a little more to go uh, to attack the page. You'll get some beautiful, beautiful things. Yeah, I, mean, I guess we see that, you know, you look at, you've worked with, Camo, or you've worked with Umberto, you've worked with, you know, P. Woods now, like, we're getting some incredible stuff. Oh, yeah. No, everything, everything changes with who you, who you work with, and that should be part of the fun, too. One of, one of Jeff Loeb's greatest talents is he writes for the guy he's working with, that if he's doing a, a story with Jim Lee, he, or if he's doing a story with Tim Sale, the scripts are completely different, and in each case, what he's really doing is he's writing for that guy and he's just lobbing a big melon over the plate. So they get to pull back on that bat and they get to crack it and they get to show everything that makes them cool. And you want to have that kind of relationship. And a lot of that happens with if you get to keep consistently working with one artist over time. I, I will work with uh, Mike Allred or Marcos Martin till the cows come home. Like we just love working together. And when you find that, that marriage of of the guys you like working together in the best case scenario you become the couple that no one wants to play Pictionary against it's <laughs> <laughs> like you, you just have this mental link and you go oh yeah that's yeah oh yeah, yeah. and then the plots read t- the, that thing we talked about on the thing with the thing can you draw that with the thing <laughs> except can you show it from the left oh oh I see why you want to show it from the left yeah okay cool <laughs> yeah, anyone else reads that script and you just go that's insane yeah. oh, it's gotta be tough working with marcos and, and mike and laura oh oh, no, oh yeah no they're, they're just horrible you they're the nicest people in the whole world yeah. and they're so talented yeah. so are you dan slot uh, and you are wonderful 
We thank you for coming in. Thanks, to Ryan. Us. Thanks, Lorraine. Thanks, Persia, who's not saying anything. Yeah. She brings a lot of good energy to the room. She's like our catcher in the background to go back to baseball. That was baseball, right? The melon over the Lob and melons. That's Wait, classic baseball. Want to say something? Want to say something? Thank you, Dan. Bye. There you go. Wow. <laughs> was, was, was that a first? No. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Bye. Thank Thanks. You. Bye. All right, big thanks to Dan Slott for uh, not doing work for a couple of hours to come in and talk to us. If his books are late, you can blame This Week in Marvel. We'll take that blame, but it is all because we got some good, good hashtag content for y'all. Yeah, let's get into next week, though. Our question of the week this week for next week is about Atlantis attacks, because we're going to be talking about that more next week. Whose side would you be on? Namor and Atlantis or anybody else? Come on. Come on. With Atlantis Attacks, there are two stories that we're going to be talking about next week. There is the original Atlantis Attack story, but most importantly, there's a brand new Atlantis Attack story written by Greg Pak with art by Ario Anandito, and uh, this one is super cool. They're different stories, but they both feature Namor. They both have Atlantis attacking, but we're, we're going to get into both of them, and we're going to have Greg Pak here joining us with him. So I think if you were... In the middle of that fight, whatever the cause, and we'll, we'll get into you know the reasoning, would you side with Namor and his 70% of the Earth? Or like, you know. If you think about it, this has been the story that's been going on since the very first Submariner story. Yeah. It's basically always Atlantis is attacking the Earth for being dum-dums. <laughs> basically. Uh, for sure. Uh, so let us know uh, whose side you'd be on when Atlantis attacks. And also, if you have any questions about Atlantis attacks, let us know. You can tweet your questions and answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. But ding a ling a ling a ling, it's community time. Oh, I like a little ding a ling a ling a ling. First up is Karis Pollard. She says, So, my This Week in Marvel of the Week goes to Black Cat. This was crazy fun with some excellent one liners, and seeing Mama Cat was a really humanizing thing that made Felicia seem really real, even when kissing a dragon. I agree. I love this issue. I love this book. If you're not reading Black Hat, you are missing out on one of our best comics. Ooh. Uh, next up, at Simon Sebs, listening to This Week in Marvel number 428. Yeah, I remember the disdain that would come into H&M and Ben J. Morse voices whenever someone mentioned 616 or something like that. Good to see that things have changed. Oh, shout out to Ben Morse, our old compatriot here from Marvel, uh, now off in Vegas, just gallivanting and living his life and continuing to read comic books. Yeah. Uh, we got an email in here from Rodrigo Marcondes. Rodrigo says, I'd like to share my answer about the question of the week from TWIM428. The question being, do you believe that artificial intelligence is equal to human emotion? He says, no, because I think that human beings have the quality of faithfulness to their principles and values, where sometimes we follow our heart instead of reason, especially when I think about feelings like love and something like that makes us unique. While AI is a great idea to build machines, which are capable to learn and think like humans in a better, smarter way, maybe the key point is what we were bringing in with our hearts. Because I believe that AI cannot feel these same kinds of deep emotions as us. Hugs from Brazil with the best wishes, Rodrigo. I want to give a special shout out to Rodrigo, cancer survivor. Yeah. Friggin' awesome. Yeah, he's an inspiration. Yeah, so positive and upbeat and just like such a sweet, sweet fella. Yep. 
Um, shout out next to at Brian Stranko, who said, with smart appliances already flooding the home, I don't think I'd want emotion AI. Worst yet is having those appliances convey emotion amongst each other. Then lights refuse to turn on in solidarity because you left the refrigerator door open the other day. Oh, man, that's a new level of paranoia that I would explore. Just like, oh, my God, are my appliance is mad at me oh my toaster's so mad i never use it we gotta wrap this episode up this episode of this week in marvel was produced by percy Berlin and zachary goldberg our audio development manager is brad barton and jill deboff is our director of audio and special thanks to the uncanny valley a bar that you can't drink at i'm ryan i'm lorraine this is marvel your universe